Ronaldo vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está! Já está! Já está! Hello and welcome to Portugal podcast number 103. My name is Tom Cundert and I'm joined to discuss the latest matters in the Portuguese football world, as usual, by Portuguese football expert, coach and journalist Tiago Esteval. Hi Tiago, tudo bem amigo? Hey guys, everything okay? Yep, all good here. So today we'll be looking at Benfica's and Braga's performances and their chances of progress in Europe. And we'll also try to break down why it has gone so horribly wrong for Porto this season. But first on the agenda, we're going to rewind the clock a few days to talk about the Celeção. Only a little more than two months now separate us from the start of Euro 2016. And last week, Portugal played two friendlies in Leria. They fell to a 1-0 defeat against Bulgaria, before beating Belgium 2-1 a few days later. Uh, Thiago, one thing that impressed me in these matches was the amount of chances Portugal created, something the team has struggled to do, really, since Fernando Santos took over. Uh, they've been good in defence, not so good going forward. Uh, as usual, though, the Celestial's finishing let them down, uh, and to be fair, some great goalkeeping as well. Uh, Tiago, how should Santos set up his attack to give Portugal the best chance of scoring the goals they need to prosper in France? If you were in his shoes, who would occupy the forward positions for Portugal? Well, we have quite a few options, and with that said, we don't have many striker options, <laughs> as per usual. Um, we have quite a few wingers, and the the manager has been trying to set up the team with Ronaldo and Nani up front, with Rafa up front as well, and there's still Eder, correct? Eder was the only real natural striker was on the on the team sheet. Yeah. There's, we still have Dani, we have well the the forwards from the the last list was were Ronaldo, Nani, Rafa, Quaresma, Dani, and Eder, right? So, I think that will be really similar to what to who we will take to the Euros. And the the, the first option, the most likely option, is to see Ronaldo and Nani up front. I'd say we we started like that against Bulgaria, I do believe, and it worked out. Decently, I mean, Ronaldo missed goals that he doesn't normally miss. Uh, the goalkeeper had the match of his life. We all know that. But I think it's decent. I don't think Nani had a great match. But but it's an option. Uh, on the other end, we have Eder was extremely criticized by the public. Because he was in the... Well, even by us, to be honest, on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, he was criticized by everyone. Uh, for being in the national team instead of players like Hugo Vieira and like uh, Bruno Moreira because they've they've actually been having quite solid seasons and Eder has been somewhat poor and this past weekend Eder scored twice and now he's been doing pretty decently for, for Lille in France Eder yeah, is just, just sorry Tiago just to interrupt you let's just have a little a little chat about Eder now because uh, yeah. of course we, some people forget, it's easy to forget because he really has struggled in the last 
couple of years or so, but you know he was a tremendous striker, really at Braga. He really looked like he was a uh, you know going to solve Portuguese striking problems, scoring lots of goals, uh, creating lots of assists. Uh, you know, with his physical power also, he really almost looked like a complete centre forward. Then he had the uh, dreaded cruciate knee ligament injury, and uh, he's never really quite been the same since. Uh, would you agree? Do you think, yeah. do you think it's a, a physical problem, or do you think perhaps it's a, a question of confidence? I think they're connected. I think the injury took him down quite a lot. The injury was, was really bad for him, and then the, the, with the transfer to England, we thought that could have brought him back to life, as per se. And he didn't really thrive in in Wales for Sans- for Swansea. So, but now that he transferred back to Lille, it seem it seems different. He has four goals and two assists in seven matches, which is really solid. Yeah, I mean the the Lille fans have been saying that he is the striker they need. He is well, he's the same old other. He isn't he isn't fantastic on the ball, but he's extremely powerful. He's Really physical. He's good again. Is the defenders have work cut out for him, and he's he's been good, and he's been having a really nice second half of the season with Lil. And if he keeps this up, I mean, we can we can have Heather starting for us at the Euros. I mean, if he's in a good form, I won't criticize him. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't criticize him for what he does. I just if if he's not in a good form, I'd prefer Santos to take any of the other strikers who actually have been having a good season, and that's for the good of the Slesson. But if Feather's in a good form, take him. I have nothing against him. Yeah. Oh, for me, he can go. He can start if he's in a good form, scoring goals and being productive and powerful and is physically good and okay with no injuries. Let him go. Yeah. Swansea is watching him, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Of course, the other big question is: uh, it seems that Ronaldo uh, may be used as a number nine uh, if if Edda isn't on the pitch. Yeah. And uh, of course, that's you could say it's a, a kind of a two-sided coin. It's we all know his uh, goal potential. You know, is just a goal machine, really. Absolutely amazing. He's going to hit 50 goals again this season for I think the fifth year running fifth or sixth year running uh, absolutely incredible uh, goal scorer of course Portugal's record goal scorer but having said that he himself has said that uh, centre forward isn't his favourite position and in uh, while playing for Portugal uh, he has occasionally taken that role and quite often he's looked quite isolated uh, notably in the 2010 World Cup when it really was a bit of a disaster, he was just completely taken out of the game when uh, Carlos yeah. Queiroz played him as a, a lone centre forward. Uh, so uh, the big question is: Do you play Ronaldo in his normal position? You know, somewhere uh, on the left wing, uh, drifting in, uh, causing havoc uh, by picking up the ball, you know, further behind in the pitch, or uh, if, especially if Eder, uh, you know, isn't available or isn't uh, on form. Do you just uh, bite the bullet and say, look, you know, he's our best uh, striking option. Let's put him up front. It's it's tough because Ronaldo, firstly, doesn't like the position as much. And secondly, Ronaldo will always be marked a lot by several defenders every match. And it's much easier, I think, from my point of view, it's much easier for 
two, three defenders to Mark Ronaldo in the box than to Mark Ronaldo in the left wing. Because on the left, he has a lot more space. And if he doesn't have it, he will create it. And yeah. in <laughs> the box, he doesn't have that freedom. And he can't roam as much. Uh, I mean, with with Nani up front, too, against Bulgaria, we started in a 4-4-2, more or less, with Ronaldo and Nani. And they both kind of roam around there, so it's not as bad. I mean, Ronaldo wasn't as trapped in the box, per se. It wasn't really a number nine, because Nani appeared in the center a lot of the time, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. true, actually. They, I mean, Portugal only scored two goals in the two games, but they created so many chances. So many and, uh, chances. You could, you could argue it actually worked quite well, didn't it? With, uh, yeah, I'd with, say so. I mean, yeah. Portugal has to get used to playing against closed defences like Bulgaria's because in the Euros, that will happen. When you yeah. have Ronaldo, people will close. And that's normal, but we have to deal with it. We can't just sit around like, well, we created chances, that's okay. I mean, it is okay if you score them, and Ronaldo... <laughs> Ronaldo yeah. missed, what, 14 shots in that match? Yeah. Something like, out of this world, in Euros, he probably will score like three of those 14. But like, it was decent. I thought it was decent. And then you have a... win In a 4-4-2, then you have two more options in the midfield. And you have this fantastic midfield that I'm really, really keen on. And yeah. Okay, well, you've just given me the perfect cue there. Because that's yeah. exactly what I'm... Uh, my next question for you. Uh, okay, while Portugal are painfully short of options, really, for the number nine position and have been for years, uh, in contrast, there's an absolute abundance of fantastic talent in midfield. Uh, João Mario has quite possibly been the best midfielder in Portugal this season. He was man of the match against Belgium. Uh, Danilo has been fantastic every time he's put on a Portugal shirt and he was very good again uh, in his friendlies. Uh, Adrien and Andre Gomes they also put in solid displays uh, could the unthinkable happen and might Fernando Santos consider dropping João Moutinho uh, I say unthinkable because the Monaco man really has been Portugal's best player over the past half dozen years after Ronaldo of course but uh, is this embarrassment of riches in midfield putting his place at risk well right now Moutinho is injured Correct? Is he still injured? I think I believe he's still injured, and we don't know when is he gonna recover. I don't think it's anything that severe, but yeah. he will he will play in the latter part of the season for Monaco, and we'll see how his form is. And if the thing is, if Moutinho's form is subpar, I'm not that troubled. It's not if I see Ronaldo and Ronaldo is subpar in form, I get worried because yeah. you have no one like Ronaldo. But with this midfield. You have Danilo and William for the defensive midfielder positions, and they're both going. And in my opinion, Danilo should start, but if William starts, it's not that much of a worry as well. And then you have João Mario, who needs to go and needs to start, in yeah. my point of view. And then you have Adrian, who's been having a fantastic season as well. To me, probably just behind João Mario as the best midfielders playing in Portugal. You have André Gomes, who's with pure quality. I mean, he's been having a little bit of a tough season with Valencia, mostly due to club results and to coaching changes, but, but he's still a really solid player and he could go or not. I think he's one of the players that's like dependent on, on Moutinho. You have Renato Sanchez, who's the new, who's the new star for Portugal and everyone's getting hyped around him. 
and he may or may not go. And then you still have Bernardo Silva, who is a bit more of an offensive midfielder, who can possibly play, play with Nani and Ronaldo up front, or with Ronaldo and Rafa. I mean, you have quite a few options, but yeah. in this midfield, if you consider Danilo William, Adrian, Gomes, Sanchez, João Mario and Bernardo, you have six midfielders already, which means one of them has to go out for Moutinho to come in. And that's between, to, to me, if Moutinho should come in, that's between André Gomes and Renato Sanchez. And you either take a little bit more quality and drop Renato Sanchez, in my opinion, or you take a potential young kid who's, who has really specific characteristics you don't have in anyone else, and you drop André Gomes. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't do much. You still have Thiago, but Thiago won't recover on time, I do believe, yeah. unfortunately. Or that would be another problem, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because, uh, of course, Fernando Santos, after these two friendlies, uh, he, I, I was quite amused at one of his quotes. He said, uh, if I, uh, first of all, he said, if I had to choose the Euro 2016 squad right now, uh, it would take me a long, long time to choose it. Yeah. And secondly, he said, uh, I've got more doubts after these two friendies than I had before. <laughs> Which, yeah. And uh, listening to your uh, list of options there in midfield, you can understand it. OK, well, we'll be talking plenty about Portugal and the Seleção in the lead up to the tournament. And of course, uh, full coverage of the tournament itself. Uh, but uh, for now, let's move on to club football. Uh, so, Thiago, both Benfica and Braga lost in the Champions League and the Europa League respectively this week, but uh, both can count themselves a little unlucky. Uh, first, let's have a look at Benfica. Most pundits completely wrote off their chances against Bayern, but a narrow defeat in Munich keeps the tie alive. Uh, can the Portuguese champions pull off a huge shock in the second leg in Lisbon next Wednesday? And uh, how much of a blow is the absence of Jonas, uh, who's uh, suspended for the second leg? Well, most pundits consider that Benfica would get thrashed in Munich, and <clears throat> that didn't happen. But after two minutes, Benfica was 1-0 down, and that, at that moment, those pundits just rejoiced, I assume, because, I mean, they were right. Benfica was going to drop hard. And that didn't happen. It was it was great. Benfica had a really tough start to the match, and you, we assumed the worst when we saw them losing to one 0 in the first five minutes. And because there were a lot of space in the box for Vidal, and Benfica didn't defend well in the first half, but or didn't defend as well as we're used to seeing them defend. But Benfica ended up having a really decent match. They, I'm not gonna say Benfica deserved to win. But Benfica had a really, really interesting match because they created chances. They missed quite a few chances. Jonas missed like two chances, and of course that Bayern, Bayern's Bayern, you know, and Bayern created more chances. Bayern had more chances to score, and you can argue, well, if Benfica could have scored, Bayern could have scored more. Sure, it, it's true, but you're already. Prior to the match, you're already expecting Befica to have less chances. No one would assume that Befica was going to dominate the match. And so for Befica to have as many chances as, as they did, not to talk about that penalty because... Yeah, um, 
I mean, it was a decent match. I, I like the result. 1-0 is really solid. Prior to the match, everyone would take the 1-0 result, I think. Yeah. And it could have been 1-1. But if you could have got that goal... But Bayern could have got like two or three more if it wasn't for Ederson. So I'm I'm happy with the one 0 I think you can it gives a little bit of hope for the second leg. Yeah, yeah, of course. A real shame they didn't grab that uh, one away goal would have made a big difference because you can't really see Bayern failing to score, can you? At, uh, in Lisbon, uh, they're just such a dangerous team. Uh, create always seem to create so much chances. Although, like you said, uh, especially in the second half. Benfica defended really well and uh, limited Bayern to, to very few chances. Uh, so let's assume, imagine if Bayern do score, that Benfica managed to keep them down to one goal in Lisbon. Uh, can Benfica hit free past them? Yeah. That's, <laughs> you're, you're putting me in a tough position. Cause that's, that, you just can't. It's Bayern. But, I mean, if Benfica score early... And if you get the one nil up early like Byron did there, everything yeah. can happen. I'm yeah. an hopeful person. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Jonas isn't now. Now that you you asked you asked about Jonas and Jonas isn't available for the second match. I don't. I know some some Benfica fans are going to criticize me a lot for this, but I don't think will be that big of a blow because I'm not one of those people that consider Jonas a player that doesn't thrive in big matches, but. Jonas didn't do amazing in Germany. He had a couple of chances, and he he wasn't the Jonas that we normally know, which is someone that just scores every chance he has. And Jimenez has been doing well in the Champions League, a lot better than in any other competition. And I don't think we have seen Jimenez with Mitroglou yet. If, If we have, you can correct me on that. I'm not sure. But, I mean, Jimenez is a lot more of a direct striker. Mitroglou is as well. It won't be... But I think it won't create a lot of offensive plays against Bayern anyway. So, having a more direct striker of the ball, again, like having two of them, might might actually benefit them. And dropping Jonas, I'm let's... Let's the Brazilian rest for the for the league, which is what Benfica really needed, to be honest. No one's expecting them to beat Bayern, but everyone's expecting them to win the league now. So yeah, okay, yeah. Well, it's sure to be a fantastic occasion on Wednesday. Really looking forward to it. I'll be there and uh, reporting from uh, the Estadio de Luz, and so uh, keep track of uh, Portugal. dot net to. Uh, find out uh, everything about the game and let's see if Benfica can pull off what would really be a historic upset uh, ok so Thiago, uh, yesterday Braga were uh, the old Portuguese story of course were made to pay for missing chances uh, after dominating the first half against Shakhtar but after the break the Ukrainian side showed their European pedigree by doubling their lead and making life very difficult for Braga, to be honest. They uh, probably could have scored more than uh, just the two goals. However, a late uh, Wilson Eduardo goal uh, gives Braga hope. Uh, what's your verdict, Thiago? Uh, how should Braga approach the second leg? Of course, they need to score at least two goals now. Uh, is it all-out attack, or would that be suicide? I mean, if they lose, it's also suicidal, right? No, uh, but... <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, Putting an all-out attack against this Shakhtar with such quick players up front and such technical players up front with 
Marlowe's and Tyson, Facundo Ferreiro, even Kovalenko. It's it's yeah. tough. You can't go all out at that when you have such quick players to get in behind, especially the wingers, and like Marlowe's did quite a few times yesterday. And but you you need to be organized and try. You need to be organized and try to get the one 0 result decently early, and then everything can go from there. It's not it's not an easy match. It's not. It's not a good result. Benfica's result is a lot better having in account the circumstances. And Braga had a lot of chances. Missed a lot of them. Braga had a total of 21 shots. And that's quite a lot against Shakhtar's 12. And Shakhtar's a really good offensive team. They scored in the worst possible time in the match for Braga. Just before the break. Right? Yeah, and they were, to be yeah. fair to Braga... Uh, that was their, I think that was their first attempt on goal, wasn't it? And uh, yeah. after Braga had had, you know, two or three decent chances, and uh, that was their first chance on goal. In it went, and uh, really, like you said, that was a, a key goal at a key moment. Yeah, and it was it was tough for Braga, and the one 0 result was already detrimental to their chances, and so then Braga tried to try to get at least the equaliser, and then. They have really good players in front. Marlos and Tyson are really good wingers. The Brazilians, Kovalenko is young, a young attacking midfielder who's extremely technical. And then they still have Bernard on the bench, yeah. who, was, who was taught for Porto a couple of years back. Yeah. They have Dentinho on the bench, Eduardo da Silva, who played for Arsenal. Yeah. They, 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 they have a lot of offensive quality. And in the back, they're, they're decent enough to keep Braguet by. And with the luck that they had, too, I mean... The winners have luck, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I think you kind of summed up there the, the, the difference in re- resources between these two teams. Uh, um, Bernardo came on, I think, for the last couple of minutes, didn't he? The last three minutes yeah. they brought him on. I, I think I'm right in <laughs> saying he cost... Uh, I think it was 25 million he cost them. And, they, so, and he came on for the yeah. last three minutes against Braga's 11, who yeah. didn't cost as much as him. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, you know, Braga could really never dream of having a uh, or buying a twenty-five a twenty-five million euro. Yeah, not, yeah. Maybe selling one if Rafa goes this summer, but uh, not buying. I one. mean, yeah. I don't know if Porto have that kind of money, and yeah. Porto is the main interest on on Rafa, but we'll see. We'll yeah, see. yeah, yeah. Okay then. Well, talking about Porto, finally we're going to end this podcast with having a look at their uh, ongoing troubles. Uh, I remember you mentioning, Tag Tiago, uh, in a recent podcast that despite Porto being third and uh, not too far behind Sporting and Benfica at the time, uh, they were actually getting better results than their performances deserved. And uh, sure enough, last Monday, the Dragons crashed to an embarrassing home defeat against the bottom side, Tondela. Uh, it now seems certain that Porto will go a third straight season without lifting the league title and the club president Pinto da Costa has his work cut out definitely to get the club, uh, to get Porto back on track again uh, some have even mentioned that uh, the historic president himself perhaps should step down uh, well yesterday he gave a very interesting interview to Porto Canal I'm just going to read some of the quotes here uh, really, no uh, no bars hold from Pinto da Costa yesterday. Very straight talking interview. He said, for for example, uh, with hit rock bottom, I never felt so ashamed as after our defeat to Tondela. 
uh, Porto fans like me <coughs> have lost patience we uh, we have to see what went wrong and we have to get things back to how they used to be uh, Pinto da Costa also said uh, in relation to Lopetegui that I trusted the wrong man uh, I let him buy players I'd never seen then he didn't even play them uh, this won't happen again and uh, in relation to uh, the current situation and Porto's players he said I told the players they have six games left to prove that they have the character to play for Porto. If they don't, then they leave. And uh, finally, uh, on whether or not Jose Pizarro will uh, be the Porto manager next season, uh, he didn't really give a conclusive answer. He said that Pizarro is working with me on a project. He's got one and a half year contract, but I can't guarantee that he stays. So... uh, Taking into account all of that, Thiago, uh, what do you think uh, that, Pian- that Pinto da Costa has to do to get uh, Porto back on track? Well, firstly, you already did something that I haven't seen in quite a while, which was coming forward and admitting his mistakes in a really blunt way. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. I mean, having in account that the mistakes are severe and... But you saw this type of situation with Sporting a couple of years ago, especially uh, with like complete malfunction of the club from old president situation, and no one ever came out and did this, or none of the presidents ever came out and did what the Costa just did, which was admitting his mistakes and telling the public that hey, I made a, made a mistake, I'm trying to fix it, and that's that that deserves points on my. On my end, but I, I also know I have also have the notion that he did that mostly due to there's a lot of surrounding noise around this presidency, so there's a lot of people who want to have his share. So uh, he also did that a little bit for interest, in my view. But still, he admitted these mistakes, and the team has, according to him, the season's over. They have a six-week preparation period to win the cup, according to what he said as well. So. That's what well, that's what they need to do. They need to win the cup versus Braga, but it's not going to be easy because Braga's season is also pretty much wrapped up, and they just need to prepare for the cup. And Braga will want to win it this year. They will want to get a trophy, and they're a lot more organized than Porto. Yeah. And to me, they're the favorites to win the cup, and because due to the season that they had, to me, Braga's the favorite to win the cup. But still, Porto's season hasn't been great at all, as we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Porto's, even the quality of the players is subpar, having having in account Porto's, Porto's tradition, as per se. You have three, four, five players tops who have been having good seasons, in my opinion. Maybe Danilo, who will start for the, for the national team in the Euros. Lyon and Maxi, the two wing-backs, have been having great season. Maxi still always plays his heart out. And Lyon, well, Lyon has been extremely impressive as well. Yeah. Lots of assists. Casillas himself has been having a, an okay season with a lot more work than he expected, I think. <laughs> yeah. But you have Andre Andre, who unfortunately got injured and hasn't been playing. But when he did, he, you can see he's one of the few that actually feel the club and feel what's going on and a new would be a pick for the national team too but well that's another injury and you have Pinto Costa saying that 
they they have three transfers lined up for next season already. Otavio, Josue, and Rafa. Yeah. And so, yeah, Rafa will most likely come in on one of the wings. I don't know how much they're going to pay for the Braga talent, but good luck. And Otavio and Josue will probably battle out, battle out for the number 10 spot. And even then, they have they they still miss a striker, another winger, two central bats, in my opinion, because Porto's central bats are really subpar. Um... How about uh, the man at the helm, Thiago? Do you think uh, oh. Peseiro can survive? The things really haven't improved at all, have they? Uh, no, since not he took really. over from Lopetegui, but is that his fault? I mean, you came, as you can see, the problems are a lot over his head. A lot of the club's problems are over his paycheck, as per se. I don't know how much he receives, but <laughs> I mean, the presidency is in trouble. A lot of, a lot of management issues. And so he came in at a bit of a wrong time, as per se, but he had the chance and he did come in and he did try his best, but the team, the team didn't really improve. They're, they're, the, um, the Porto fans didn't say much. I think they didn't feel Lopetegui a lot, but against Pizarro, they're, they're quite a bit against Pizarro as well. So he, I don't think he can stay. If, if Pinto Costa is gonna, completely rebrand the team and change a lot of players around, I think Pizarro is going to go as well, even if he wins the cup. Well, it's going to be fascinating watching how the final few weeks of the season unfold in Portugal. Of course, Benfica and Sporting neck and neck in a title race. Uh, Porto needing a big turnaround. And uh, down at the bottom, a very tight relegation scrap is playing out. So uh, you can keep track of all of that at www.portugal.net. That's a P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L.net. And of course, we'll be here discussing it on the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, time has beaten us today. Uh, thank you, Tiago, for your super insight as usual. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. Okay. Again. No problem, and uh, we'll speak again in uh, a couple of weeks or so. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Até a próxima.